You're listening to episode 45. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our feature guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it, and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really... I am the number one student, so get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Journals podcast, where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. Davis Mutawa here, your host. Super excited to bring you today's feature guest, Mr. Dave Hershop. Dave, are you ready to share your entrepreneurial story? I'll do my best. Dave is the owner of Dave's Gourmet, which is a gourmet products manufacturer that is made up of several brands ranging from sauces, snacks, fine foods, and other gourmet creations. In fact, um, Insanity Sauce was um, at one time the world's hottest saucer. That sounds like dangerously hot. Um, He's won dozens of awards, nationwide distribution across the U.S., and featured on... um, Many shows like the Today Show, the Good Morning America, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and a bunch more. So very excited to dig more into your story, Dave. And firstly, welcome to the show. Uh, but um, before we dive in, maybe just take 30 seconds and tell us who is Dave outside of business? Thanks, Davis. Uh, that's a good question. I'm still trying to figure that out. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm a mild-mannered guy. Um, I have a wife and three kids. I live in Northern California, uh, you know, pretty active, uh, uh, trying to always find new challenges, both personally, uh, you know, could be running a marathon or, or swim, swim from Alcatraz or, or things like that, or love to try new foods, um, really getting into mountain biking more and more now. Um, and, um, you know, really it's just a curious person. So that's what drives everything is just like, why can't we do it a different way? Or what happens if we put those two things together? What would that taste like or look like? So um, I love food, but um, curiosity is really my main driver. I just like sort of creative ideas and innovation and, and having fun mm. with it. That's great. Now, um, how long have you been in full-time business for yourself? Uh, pretty much <laughs> pretty much since college, I've worked for myself. Uh, I'm not sure I could have got, gotten a job, so I just hired myself, and uh, <laughs> and it worked out pretty well. So um, that's, gosh, that's been 20, including my restaurant, it's like 24, 24, 25 years. Oh, wow. Congratulations on finding success and, you know, I guess following your, following your passion. So um, we'll talk a little bit about how the journey started, but what are the core revenue streams in your business today? Uh, you know, basically we sell pasta sauce and we sell hot sauce. So those are, those are the two big streams. Uh, we, we sell more pasta sauce than we do hot sauce, but uh, 
I think we're still better known for hot sauce. And uh, we are just launching now a line of creamy hot sauces. And we think that those will, will have a lot of volume potential. So pasta sauce and hot sauce will have to battle it out over the next year or two to see who can dominate the business. Right. So you got a new products coming out. Right. Very, very interesting. And um, do you openly share what kind of um, size of business you guys are running in terms of distribution or employees or revenues or or anything that would give us a scale? Sure. Yeah, we're, we're nationally distributed. So we're, you know, Safeway and Whole Foods and Kroger and, you know, Costco and, uh, you know, Sir Latat, Sonoma, uh, lots of regional chains like, you know, Wegmans and uh, Publix and HEB. Uh, and, you know, we're also exported to a number of countries, Australia, England, Germany, Japan. Uh, so, you know, we have pretty good distribution, um, you know, uh, being specialty, you know, you might be in 400 Safeways rather than 1,200. Um, you know, so uh, that's always the challenge of being specialty. But um, yeah, uh, yeah. But even even with all this distribution, of course, we are, uh, especially on the hot sauce side, we're probably better known than we are distributed. So it's it's still the challenge of uh, you know understanding that our products are more expensive. How do you stretch the distribution? as much as is reasonable, um, you know, without, you know, expanding beyond your, your customer base or, or not being true to your product. That's great. Um, so how did the journey start for you as an entrepreneur? So you came straight out of high school or college, you said? Yeah, college, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's, um, uh, some people are more planned out, I suppose. But uh, for me, it just seemed like the thing to do at the time. Uh, so, uh, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, for a very short stint, I'd been out here in California. I'm from the East coast, originally from Virginia. And, um, you know, I just was a little, a little trying to sort things out. And so I had seen in California, there was just tremendous Mexican food. And when I went back to the East coast, the Mexican food was, was definitely not nearly as good. So I opened up a Mexican restaurant, thinking I could sort of, you know, share some of that, uh, that love. And, you know, that was, it was exciting. It was fun. It was, it was challenging. Uh, you know, and it was a bit of a struggle. Uh, it was, you know, I really learned like a business like that. You're so busy and so working so hard inside the business that, um, especially if you're young and inexperienced, sometimes you forget to like work on the outside of the business. So there's one of the sort of break even businesses that was really more of a poorly paid job than a, than a, <laughs> than a business. Um, so, um, but in doing that, we had a lot of drunk people come into the restaurant because we were in College Park, Maryland, which is the University of Maryland. And so I don't really like drunk people. So I used to make really hot sauces just to screw with them. And I went on a mission to create the world's hottest sauce. And I actually figured out how to do it. So I made these sauces that were just totally incendiary. And the weird part was that people started asking for them in little souffle cups. And so I was like, I was like wow. And then I started realizing that there was a whole subculture of chili heads who were like, that's what they like. They just like super hot food and chili culture and chili flavors. And um, I thought they were like this terrific, really fun group of people. Uh, and so I just sort of really delved into that. And, um, then, you know, that just sort of took off 
you know, so I wanted, after I sold the restaurant, uh, I kept doing that as a hobby because I liked it and it just took off too fast to really do anything else. So I, I just kept doing it. So did you sell the restaurant um, because of the hot sauces or that was just because you got tired? Yeah, it really wasn't going anywhere. Uh, you know, I probably could have done it for a few more years. Uh, maybe I would have course corrected at some point, but I think it just wasn't going to go anywhere and it was a real grind. And smelling like an onion all the time is terrible for your dating life. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, and so, so essentially, what did you do after you sold? Um, yeah. So after I sold, you know, the, the hot sauces were a hobby. Uh, but when I lived in California briefly before, I had some friends out here. Uh, and they said, hey, come on back out. Um, you know, we have a mortgage company. Come work for us. So I was like, great. I get to go work with friends. You know, I'm sure I can work with mortgages. Um, so by day I did mortgages and by night I, I did hot sauce. Um, and, and I think, you know, if like for entrepreneurs, I think that's, that's like the smartest, safest way to start a business, right? So all my bills are paid. I got a job. Um, I'm doing the hot sauce on the side. And if at some point it gets big enough where it can pay the bills, then, you know, you, you can always quit your job. Uh, so it would just worked perfectly and seamlessly where, you know, I, I could transition out and, you know, kept doing hot sauce and eventually, you know, flavor mayonnaise and salsa and salad dressings and pasta sauce and all sorts of things over the journey. But, um, it was, uh, it was an interesting ride. Yeah. So if, if I just, um, dig in a little bit more into that period there where you were, I guess, <clears throat> working part-time or full-time and then doing your business part-time, um, how, how did you find your competing interests? Did that um, kind of come in, come into the way or not? You know, not quite so much. I mean, that's where I think there was an advantage, both working for friends and and doing being a mortgage broker, which is by its nature somewhat of a flexible job. So that that really helped me have some flexibility. And then, you know, the type of business selling hot sauce was was a little flexible. And, and this is where, you know, I got my first taste of sort of outsourcing and putting things together, you know. So, uh, you know, I ended up having my portion being, you know, sort of uh, answering calls, uh, you know, uh, you know, getting, getting the website, you know, initially set up, you know, going down to the plant, talking to them about production, uh, you know, but, but someone else would actually, you know, put the orders in boxes and ship it. Uh, so, so a lot of the daytime pieces, I sort of hired out, uh, to other people that, that could do it then. Uh, and so it really ended up being a good sort of setup and it just obviously got too big where, you know, someone really had to deal with the stores more and, and, you know, deal with, some, you know, putting together trade shows and, and things like that, that I couldn't really just do on nights and weekends, uh, as well. And so when that got to that point, it was, you know, it was me, and then very quickly I had an assistant, and we had a small warehouse and office, and uh, so, you know, it was a very sort of smooth transition. Uh, you know, I think I also had an advantage that Insanity Sauce hit on this, this, this bin of pent-up demand, where people wanted something like that, and there really was nothing out there like it. And so, you know, that sort of that took care of a lot of the marketing and sales for me. So people were coming more to me. Uh, 
whereas most businesses, I think that's not so much the case. You really have to go out and push your product. Um, so Insanity Source, this is the crazy source that was like extremely hot. Tell us about that. Was that your first product? That was our first product was Dave's Insanity Sauce. So this was this was the only sauce ever banned from the National Fiery Food Show. Um, it was banned from the National Fiery Food Show <laughs> in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Some, uh, some guy had a minor respiratory challenge um, after we gave it to him, and the organizers of the show said, wait a minute, no, 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 you, you can't serve that to other people. Um, so they banned it, which was great because the New York Times picked up on that right away. Um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's like the... Um, there's those, those four quadrants of like productivity, like the unconscious, uncom- incompetent, and the, the, you know, so like I was sort of like the, the, the unconscious competent to some degree, like, you know, you can't beat luck. <laughs> wow. So, so that, that was, how did you come up with the, with the whole recipe? I guess you're a, you're a chef or a restaurant guy. So did that help or did you just stumble into it? Well, I mean, you know, I wouldn't call myself a chef. I'm, I'm creative and I'm food food savvy. Uh, but, you know, like I, you know, I had said earlier, I'm just, I'm very creative. Uh, and so, and I, you know, I, I'm smart enough to know that I'm not that smart. So I reduce everything down to sort of the simplest element I can. So it's sort of like, gosh, what makes things hot? And, you know, um, what in, you know, what in the chili peppers, the hot piece. And I tried to, how do I get the hot piece out of the chili pepper and use that to make the sauce even hotter and, um, okay, and then what sort of do I have a sauce that that would work with already, and or, or do I have to create a new one? So I just you know do that, and then having the restaurant was terrific because you know I could do my little sauce hobby, um, but then there's t- dozens of people walking through the restaurant that I could test sauces on, so it was a great little like R and D like testing and, lab. Right. So now, when you were working part time and creating the sauce, was it just now? you alone going to make the sauce in your kitchen or how did that initial production work? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, you know, obviously we made, made it in the restaurant and, and there, um, you know, there I just, it didn't be like really sell it. I just sort of gave it away in little cups, but eventually I had to bottle it. Um, and so I found a producer in, in college park, Maryland, um, in Towson, Maryland, excuse me. And, you know, they would do low minimums and they were, they were, you know, savvy about food production, much more so than I. And so I made a deal with them and they, they did our first production run just around the time of going to the fiery food show, which was our big launch. And, um, luckily it was, it was a hit at the show. Um, uh, and so we were able to sell that first production and, and go on to a second. So in terms of marketing growth strategy, um, at the beginning, it was just inbound, but were you doing any bigger sort of, so the trade show was the biggest um, outlet for marketing? Yeah, I mean, well, for us, it's, it's you know, our historical uh, two pillars that we've always had a lot of success with were trade shows and public relations. So, you know, at, at the trade show, I wore a straight jacket. Um, the sauce is called Insanity Sauce. Uh, so, you know, we sort of hammed it up and, you know, the one thing I realized over, over the years with, with the media was that, you know, the media wants to give their, their audience something interesting. And, and most companies like just hammer away at the media saying, talk about our, our stuff, talk about our widget, talk about our, our, our shoes. And there's what they're talking about really isn't very interesting. 
So I've always tried to like, you know, go to the media with something that's interesting. So even if I had a, a sauce that was, you know, mediocre level of interest, I would, you know, I would, you know, wear a straight jacket or I'd, you know, at a trade shows, we, we, you know, we'd have live scorpions in our booth or we'd serve cooked scorpions or, you know, <laughs> we'd just do something to try to make it fun and, and interesting for everybody. Um, which is awesome because then, you know, then we're having more fun in, as, as, you know, people doing it. And then, you know, everyone we deal with having more fun. And I mean, you know, if you can do it, why not have some fun with it? And, and how are you growing the business today? What's your, have you changed the strategy or is it the same? Um, you know, it's somewhat different because, you know, super hot sauces um, were self-limiting, right? Because a bottle can last forever. And so we hit a point where we didn't think that could, could grow very quickly anymore. Uh, so, you know, we, we shifted and we went to pasta sauces, which we thought, you know, gosh, what a boring category. They're all the same red sauce, basically. And everyone's just trying to compete on who's more Italian than the next guy. Um, and so, you know, it came up with butter and squash pasta sauce, yellow tomato pasta sauce, um, you know, like a, a Thai-inspired pasta sauce. So a lot of creative uh, things, you know, using heirloom tomatoes, uh, things people weren't doing. And so, you know, we've had a lot of success there, and that that's growing. Uh, but what we found was... You know, while people love it and it's very culinary and we get a lot of, you know, fan letters and all, it, hot sauce is still more exciting, like super hot sauce. Like it was, in fact, it's hard to find a category that creates more excitement anywhere. So it's, it markets itself much more than pasta sauce. So we've had to become a little more savvy about like, you know, in-store promotions and demos and, and all the sort of more traditional marketing means. Uh, so, which also is more expensive to do. So, you know, it's more and more of a hybrid now. We still have a lot of the, the core of, you know, PR is, is, is what we like to do. It's fun. We love to go to trade shows, um, and really connect with people and have fun with them there. Uh, but, you know, with the pasta sauces, having a slightly different feel and different demographic and all that, um, we've had to become smarter about, you know, doing more traditional marketing and but of course we're trying to figure out ways to do it our way you know with a creative spin and all that so dave um what's been your biggest breakthrough moment in the business so far or do you feel like it's just grown on a steady compounding level you know you always have, have several several points that that are are great you know things are never quite even um so certainly going to the fiery food show that that at the very beginning was a huge breakthrough because, you know, you didn't really know how you were going to do. And uh, to to get that kind of like New York Times and and immense consumer feedback and and all these stores coming up and saying, I'll buy, you know, I'll buy 10, 20, 30, 40 cases on the spot. Um, You know, for a 20-something guy, I really didn't think about it much. That, that was that was huge, and then over the years there've been you know inflection points. Like for some reason, getting what selling to William Sonoma was like a big deal to me. It was always something I wanted to do. And so when they bought, that was that was huge. And then you know the Sof- that we have these Sophie Awards from the Specialty Food Association, uh, and when we when we won our first gold Sophie, that was you know that was to sort of legitimize because people had always made fun of us initially because we made super hot sauce, right? So the food world sort of looked down their nose like, well, what about the flavor? 
um, because people who can't tolerate the high heat, they can't taste the flavor. Um, so they have no idea. But, you know, then when we won, you know, gold trophies for pasta sauce and, and other things, that sort of legitimized that, hey, you know what? We're not just this, these weird hot sauce guys. Um, we can do, we know hot sauce and we know heat, but we also know flavor. Um, so, you know, we're very proud of that. And, you know, Costco, you know, getting Costco business initially and, and hitting certain revenue numbers. And so there are a bunch of different points that were sort of like, you know, really, really gratifying. You'd say. What's your, um, I guess, your goals and your vision for the business right now? Are you trying to grow it, keep it steady, or what are you looking at? Well, you know, we we were like, you know, the first four years, I think, we grew really quickly, and then like for eleven or twelve years, we became this weird lifestyle business. So, you know, we basically didn't grow at all, but you know, we're profitable and it was a good life. Um, but I don't know. I was almost in sort of in a fog, I think, because, you know, that's the period in which I got married and started having kids. And so my attention was a little, a little distracted maybe. Um, but also part of me just really wasn't quite sure what to do. Um, and I think for many years, we've list, started to listen to like the consultants a little too much, like be strategic and be this and be that. And we sort of, I sort of forgot that, you know, what, what I'm good at, I mean, what makes this company, every time we grow, it's usually because of new product innovation um, or having fun and doing sort of creative PR and marketing. I mean, that, those are the things that, and so we've tried to get back to that, uh, you know, because, you know, when we get away from it, you know, being, being flat for 12 years, it just, you know, it's fine for some people just to have sort of a steady business. But I guess for me, it took the excitement out of it. And so then we hit another leg up where we tripled our size. Um, but then we stumbled again where like for two years we, we were stuck. Um, and this year again, we just hit the, ne- the next leg up again, which our goal is to have, you know, triple the size of the company uh, again in the next, you know, three, three-ish, three-ish years. So that's the, that's the goal. And, you know, really there's no reason that you have to grow quickly necessarily but i think for us just that sort of momentum is just so much more exciting so so the the most recent inflection point in your business which was probably going to head you up to the um three xing your size what what's the reason for that uh you know every time it's always been product this time was a little different actually um this time we brought in a, a vice president of sales and marketing you know with, with deep experience who just great guy and I think you know I turned a lot of a lot of uh, things over to him uh, now that we're trying to learn how to, to do business you know somewhat more traditionally I guess and you know he really really came into his own this year and, and helped us start moving up again now of course next year and the year after we have a bunch of new products hitting uh, so which is what we're traditionally better at so I think the combination of, of him and, and these new products will will really drive um, some growth. And, and, you know, and tripling is, is one thing. You know, every time you get bigger, tripling the next time is <laughs> it's not quite as easy. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, we, as you triple, you know, it's sometimes, sometimes, you know, growing 20% a year is really amazing, especially as you get larger because, you know, it's, it's a lot more dollars and, and numbers. 
What would you different? What would you do different if you were starting afresh? I know people have said to me, you know, I would hire somebody quickly, get an assistant quickly. You've you've just had a good hire, the VP of marketing and sales, who's helped your business. But um, is that something you would do earlier on, or is there something else that you think would give you a better result if you were restarting again? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, you know, I've belonged to these business groups over the years, and. Uh, you know, and listening to like all these other business owners talk about their challenges and such. And I think one of the things on the challenging side with, with our business that, that is slightly different uh, is, is more of the challenge with us is, is, is based on me personally. Um, so, and that's why like you see CEOs of these big companies that get paid these outrageous sums of monies. And I've always been like, that's, that's so ridiculous. But as I've become more experienced in business, I realized the person sitting at the top just it makes, they make an immense difference. And so if I personally get stuck because like the artistic side of me doesn't want to do these other products, you know, because they don't meet my artistic, whatever, um, that may limit the business. So I think what I would have done sooner was sort of step back and say, okay, where am I living in the business? Where's the business being held back by me that I need to step away from and let some, someone else do that? You know, really have like, you don't need a 28-page strategic plan, but, you know, you need at least a one-page plan of like, hey, what's the strategy of how this is going to grow and how this is going to get bigger and more exciting? Um, and what are the two or three pillars that that's going to rest upon? Uh, and, you know, how are we going to get that done? And be really realistic about like, where are you the problem? Where you are, you've got to step away. Uh, and, you know, being hailed as this entrepreneur over the years, it's, you know, you sort of think of yourself as this great change agent. But, you know, I've had to, like, confront the fact that in some ways I, I like new and change and exciting. In some ways, some ways I, I get stuck sometimes and, and hold things back from changing because I'm afraid it will fail or, or whatever. Uh, so so that's, that's really why I change is sort of being more realistic about where am I the problem and sort of punching myself in the face and making, making me step away. Wow, I love that. <laughs> That's really, really good insight and thank you for sharing that. Um, what about flipping the coin a little bit? You know, a lot of people um, are afraid um, of failing and, and, you know, like you said, you know, sometimes that, that still happens for you in your business where you, you're afraid of maybe launching something new, maybe it might not work and so you, you step away from it but maybe somebody else might be able to push that along. But um, what, what would you say... Um, has been a moment where you felt, you know, you were failing and you maybe wanted to walk away? You know, that's a tough question for me because I'm like, I'm like that dog that doesn't let go. I mean, I'm I'm very tenacious um, about certain things. So I I don't really usually ever give up. Uh, So, you know, I think, I think certainly, you know, when for 12 years we didn't grow, there was a certain level of frustration that grew. And then it, for this last upswing, I think there was a certain level of frustration. Uh, because you think, you know, um, if you have enough bluster to be an entrepreneur, uh, I think you think, gosh, there's so many things I could be doing. Um, and if you're not making progress, then I think that frustration makes you almost want to say, well, well, okay, you know, why not get out of this and start a computer company or, or you know, start a dot com or, or, you know, start a, a charity or, or something, you know, somewhere you're like, you can use some of your innovative ideas. So I think those are the, the points where, 
one step away. I mean, you know, certainly in business, you have like these other frustrations, um, like, you know, embezzlement, um, criminals getting sued, um, just partnership disputes. I mean, all these things that, that happen to businesses. And a lot of those are like emotionally, they're, they're just so intense and gut wrenching. But for me, that stuff doesn't make me want to walk away. It's just sort of like, you know, just sort of painful and then you move on. But, you know, having done a lot of endurance sports and all that, that's sort of like, I can deal with pain. Um, what I can't deal with is stagnation and boredom. That's what, that's what kills me. Um, in fact, my wife, um, years ago, I got carjacked. So this guy pulls out a gun and like, uh, you know, it says, give, you know, take a hike, give me your car. And I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. Have it. Um, and strangely later that day, he actually used my information and my key ring to steal our other car. Um, so that was a nerdy bastard. Uh, but you know, my wife always remarked that, that that was one of the, the few days that she saw me like totally alive. And she, she thinks I actually enjoyed it. Uh, which I don't think I enjoyed it, but you know, so like things that are exciting, even negative things, I sort of can rise, rise to the occasion. But, um, uh, yeah, just that sort of, just that sort of boredom I just can't take. Yeah. Has there been a, a, a product launch that did just fail, that didn't work or didn't achieve any, any of the other levels that the others have achieved that you, that you pulled away from? I would say that most of the items we launched have failed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, you can, you can have different systems, right? So, you can have a system where you launch items inexpensively um, and you can churn, essentially, and go through a bunch of items. And if, if a bunch fail, it's not really a big deal. Um, but the danger in doing that is you're not really committed enough to any item or really not putting enough thought in that item so, so they're all sort of hampered in their chance to succeed. So if something's succeeding, it's more like, oh, it's this, you know, this lucky thing. Um, now we've always done it where, where we can launch fairly inexpensively. So we were never that worried about an item failing. Over the years though, we've, we've put more and more thought and our quality standards have come up. So we've become much slower to launch items, which, uh, but what we launch is better, uh, which, you know, it's sort of good news, bad news. Uh, but you know, we had a line of, of flavored mayonnaise. In the late '90s, that won all sorts of awards. It was beautiful, tasted great, but uh, you know, Americans just didn't know what to do with it. And, and really, flavor mayonnaise has never taken off in the U.S. Uh, so, so that was sort of frustrating because we put a lot of expense and time and thought into that. Um, so that was frustrating. Uh, you know, some some of our more win-winning products, award-winning products, are not necessarily our better-selling ones. Um, with, with some exceptions. So, you know, Insanity Sauce is certainly not our most award-winning, but it, for years it was our bestseller. Whereas like Soyabi, this Asian sauce we had, everybody loved, but didn't sell very well. Or Hurt and Habanero Honey Mustard, which was probably our, our product that won the most awards, was one of our worst sellers. Uh, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, it's also like, I mean, you know, if you're creating a... Uh, you know, a six-toed, left-footed sock, um, you know, even if it's like the greatest left-footed, six-toed sock in the world, it's still not going to sell very well. So you have to sort of step back and think like, you know, the quality and the innovation, all that is like, you know, it can be great, but it has to be the right item. It has to be, 
you know, innovation for innovation's sake or creativity for creativity's sake, just, you know, it has to, you still have to think about like the end user and like, it's really about them um, at the end of the day in terms of, you know, business and dollars and cents. So if you are sort of create a creative type of person, you sort of have to have this compromise between like exercising your creativity and innovation and being mindful of at the end of the day, if you're not thinking about the consumer or, or whoever the end user is, you know, you're, you're just really like doing it for your own, own creativity's sake. I wanted to ask you, because you've talked about, you know, repivoting in your product range and testing out new ideas. If somebody's starting out today, maybe they've got some great ideas. It could be in the food industry or maybe hair or makeup, etc. And maybe they're trying to start out from home um, like you did. Um, what are some of the coaching that you'll be able to give to them in order to start to create those products, you know, packaging or those mini steps? And what would you recommend? So you're talking about someone that doesn't have an idea now. They just have, have an urge to do something. No, may, maybe they've got an idea, um, something that they have seen a need in the marketplace. Maybe they um, you know, maybe it could be a food product or uh, some other cosmetic product even. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a few different elements there, right? So, one is sort of like, you know, can you actually make this thing work? Uh, you know, so, you know, can you make a prototype somehow or um, that can work? And, you know, that just takes a little bit of creativity and innovation and, and wanting to get your hands dirty. Um, but there's some cases where things are just so, so technical that you do have to hire an outside expert. Um, but for a lot of things, you can sort of jerry-rig it. Uh, but then... You know, you get there and then you still don't know, like, okay, can this actually be produced, like, at a manufacturing level? Uh, and for, for some items, it's like, you know, if it's, if it's socks with a certain pattern, then, you know, obviously that could be. But, you know, so, some things just don't scale up very well or you're not, you can't find a factory that can do it. Or, so, so that sort of, that sort of takes some tenacity um, because you talk to a lot of people that, that, that could actually do it. But they're like, you know, we don't do that item. And, and you're like, well, no, but your equipment creates an item that, that like that for, for Latin foods. You know, this is just you change the spice blend. You know, it's, it's the same production process. But, you know, you know, if you're sort of a creative entrepreneur, you, you know, you have to sort of sometimes sell people on, you can do this. You're actually doing it now if you think about it. Um, so... You know, so there's that production side, and then there's the whole marketing side, uh, marketing research side of like, okay, maybe you can prototype it, and maybe you can actually produce it, but like, will anyone buy it? And I think, I think that's where more than anywhere, I think people fall down because you know their their family likes it, their friends like it, they like it, um, so they think other people will like it. But you know, you got to go out and really sort of test it with a bunch of strangers. Um, and not just any strangers, strangers who sort of, you know, would be the ones buying that type of item. Uh, um, and just based on what they say, um, because, you know, you're, you're not going to buy your own item. So that, that's, <laughs> you know, that's really what falls down. And, that, and, and then, you know, and, and that's not the end of the, end of the story, right? Because the, the world's filled with these stories of entrepreneurs who pivoted. So, you know, you have to be able to listen to sort of like, not just the yes or no, but like the, 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 the notes of what they're saying, the words of like, 
you know, maybe it won't work how you're doing it now, but maybe if you add a little more of this or add a little less of that or, or change the color or change the size or change the price or whatever, um, then all of a sudden people will like it. Um, so you got to be willing to play with, you know, packaging, price point, the visual of it, the, how it feels in your hand, the, you know, all the different elements, all the touch points, uh, and, and sort of, you know, be willing to do some pivoting. I want to shift a little bit and talk about some of the philosophies that maybe have governed your, your life so far. Um, how do you rank the following, if at all? Faith, fun, family, finances, friendships. Yeah. There's always the way you rank things. And then if you look at your own life, how you actually live, it's not always the same, the same ranking. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, I would say, uh, I would say based on how I actually live, I mean, family is, is probably the, the thing that's most important to me. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time, you know, with my kids. So, um, um, and then I would say, um, probably next is fun. Um, but I, you know, I include, like, I like working and I like creating things. So to me, that's all part of the fun. So it's sort of, you know, that's sort of my, my central purpose. And then also, you know, my family are like the two big things. And then, you know, money is certainly up there. Um, I like having money, but, um, but you know, it's not just, it's just hard to get really charged up for just money. Um, you know, I really feel like if you do a great job, the money sort of becomes a, a byproduct of it. Um, so yeah. Um, and then, yeah. And then, um, you know, uh, uh, faith and friends are sort of, you know, the sort of, I guess the next down the line, um, you know, I'm not, not a really deeply religious person, but, um, I like to think of myself as a highly moral person. Uh, and then, um, uh, um, and then, you know, certainly friendships are important and, and I like having them, but, uh, uh, I play tennis and so I see a lot of people through tennis and, you know, work's very social. Uh, but, you know, between, between work and the family, I don't have a lot of time. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you end up being friends with, you know, the parents of other, of your kids and things like that. Or, yeah. I want to have a bit of an understanding of how your day looks like, but uh, first show me, show me um, how a day in your life looked when you just started your business versus how a day in your life looks today, just in a, in a quick snapshot. Well, I mean, at the, at the restaurant, um, where it truly started, uh, I mean, the restaurant was just dominant. You know, I basically woke up and went to the restaurant and, and worked there and then went, then went home. Um, I mean, that was, that was a brutal grind. Uh, and then, you know, the next phase was, you know, I woke up and, uh, you know, went to, went to, you know, mortgage work. Sometimes I got to work in, work out rather in the morning. And then sometimes after work, I could go like, you know, meet some friends for a brief bit before going home and working. Or, um, sometimes I just had to head home and work, um, but on the weekends, I would have a, you know, usually a chunk somewhere I could go have some fun. Uh, and then, you know, then as the mortgage went away and I did that full time, you know, then I certainly had more time. I'm, I'm sure I was working 60, 70 hours a week. But, um, you know, exercise has always been important to me. So, you know, I used to run and then, you know, lifted and did other stuff. Uh, so try to work out in the mornings and then go to work and then, you know, meet friends after work, you know have some fun uh and you know i've always liked to travel so you know as 
as the business got more successful, I've been able to, you know, go see different countries and, uh, and do those sorts of things. So, so and now, and now, I mean, more than ever, now I have a very balanced life. So I work out almost every day, but, you know, I also spend a lot of time with my family, uh, my work, but, you know, technology is such that, you know, I have my laptop and phone and everything everywhere. So I can do quick check-ins or answer things from, in two minutes from anywhere. So. You know, I, I can go watch my daughter's ballet or my my son play basketball or whatever and, and you know, do 15 minutes of work during the game um, and still really be there for them. Next thing I want to talk about is mentors. Um, do you invest in mentors? Um, and if so, why do you do that? And who are some of those for you? Um, you know, I've definitely done a lot of, you know, business reading over the years um, and, uh, you know, been part of these CEO groups and talked to, talked I in, uh, networked, talked to a lot of people in the industry. Um, you know, I don't have one specific mentor, and I think that if I did, that probably would have been would have been nice. Uh, but um, yeah, I've really gotten a lot of input from all those sources, um, and I think I think I have a lot of knowledge now about how to do business. I don't always do it, <laughs> but uh, but I think I know a lot about it. Um, so you know, and then you know, certainly like you know. On a motivational side, like I've listened to some, some Tony Robbins over the years and found that that helpful in terms of motivation. Uh, and then, you know, I talked to private equity types over the years, and, and I think they're a sharp group of people. Uh, but, um, you know, it's just interesting. I mean, a lot of people's problems are pretty similar. Uh, you know, it boils down to a, a quick set of, of, yeah, you know, it's marketing or hiring the right people or the product's not quite right or... So all comes down to a similar set of challenges. Um, what about books? Best two books that you think are great reads for entrepreneurs? I shoot for entrepreneurs part. Um, gosh. Um, yeah, I don't have like a particular book. I know some people remember things that way. I just don't really remember things that way. So, you know, I love audible.com though, that website, because I think audiobooks are amazing because you can just shoot through them. And actually, there's a new app. Uh, that I just started using, which has audio, which has a book summaries called Blinkist. Um, so I like Blinkist a lot because you can just see like little summaries of, of business books. Um, Blinkist. Uh, and then, you know, over the years I was, you know, I read Inc. Magazine a lot and um, I always thought they had a lot of insightful articles. It was a lot of books really like, they should be articles, but they just add a lot of other stuff in there. And so it's like, <laughs> it's like the publisher said they had to be 300 pages. So, um, you know, it's, but it's like, oh my gosh, oh, you know, and then, you know, like Seth Godin also is another, an author that I think, you know, he, he writes a lot of good stuff in the market. It's stuff. funny. I, I recently interviewed somebody who said, yeah, a lot of books should be just you know like a blog post or an article so i don't i don't like books i think it's actually an introverted with um with one of the founders of less accounting so interesting you say that well, um, you know actually another in- interesting book though um because some people become technicians and, and and they don't like they can't think of like stepping back and contracting out things and i found the four hour work week to be interesting uh because it really like is the extreme of like contract everything out um and, you know, I'm a strong believer on do what you're good at and focus on your strengths. And that book sort of 
leans that direction. Um, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Our website is davesgourmet.com, and I am dave at davesgourmet.com. Uh, Dave at Dave's We'll link all that in the, up in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. So, um, Dave's Gourmet.com. Dave, before I ask my last question, I really want to thank you for, for jumping onto this call with me and for being on our show and really inspiring someone else to pursue their dreams. And, um, you know, specifically for pouring out your wisdom and sharing your story here with us today. I'm really grateful. Now, for the last question. Um, when all is said and done, what legacy do you want to leave and be remembered for if you think about that at all? And tell us why. Uh, yeah, so, well, thank you for having me first. I really appreciate it. Um, it's fun to talk about all this. Uh, you know, legacy-wise, I think, you know, I, I, part of me hopes that the legacy is not insanity sauce um, because you never want, like, the, the first thing you did to be the thing you're always remembered for. Um which is funny because my, my dad is a, a well-known lawyer and and um, he had this case which it's the 50th anniversary next year it wiped out mixed marriage laws in the U.S. Loving versus Virginia and he's best known for this case which was the second year he was working <laughs> and so like <laughs> it made me think about that it's like you know he's had a lot of other great cases but everyone knows that one and so like for me it's like um, I really think Sandy Sauce is great and I'm proud of it okay, I did that like 25 years ago. So like, you know, in 25 years, being smarter and better, hopefully, I must be able to do things that we eclipse that. So I just really want to be known for, for having created, you know, created ideas and items that really like had a huge positive impact on people's lives. Well, thank you so much. Um, interesting story. Eh? Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of the show. Thank you for hanging out with me and Dave today. And my prayer for you is that you can get your hopes up that you are good enough to go and live your dreams. Head on over to businessjournals.com for all the show notes and just type in Dave in the search bar. And to connect with Dave, that's davesgourmet.com. Dave, thank you so much for being on the Business Journals podcast today and for sharing your story with us. We are absolutely grateful. You are a true business general. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. That's nice of you. Hey, what's up, Business Journals family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Journals podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessjournals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.